And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle. Uh, I got a close friend, a colleague um with me today before i make that introduction and before we go into our topic which is today's episode is moving forward when things go wrong one of my favorites i've written articles that i've talked a lot about the art of the pivot and you know being flexible and, and being creative and being able to just handle whatever comes to you i think that's the true sign of an entrepreneur so we're gonna have some fun today uh before we get into that a shout out to uh, our sponsor, Fullscale.io. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably, and as a platform to help you manage that team, visit Fullscale.io. And without further ado, Norm Farrar, welcome to the show, my friend. Um, Norm is Norm is the host of um, a well-known podcast called the Lunch with Norm podcast. I had the privilege of being on there. Um, you know, a few days ago, and we got a chat up. We chatted up some security vulnerabilities. We talked about things that uh, sellers are are looking forward to in 2023. Things to expect. We had a great time on the show. So, for any of our listeners, go over there and check out uh, Lunch with Norm podcast. But today, we're going to be getting to know Norm instead of myself. And uh, you know, I warmed him up before the show. Just told him um, a tradition we have here is just really getting to know um, the guest and kind of what brings them. Uh, to the podcast norm i would love to hear some of uh from you just like you know the early days with norm was it like um you know did you know you always wanted to be an entrepreneur do you come from an entrepreneurial family um where does your story really get started yeah so uh, i did come from an uh, entrepreneurial family uh my dad uh he he was the serial entrepreneur of serial entrepreneurs um okay. he had 20 businesses going at a time. He might've had more than that going at a time, but he was involved with a lot of different, uh, a lot of different companies. And they were all fairly significant sized companies at the time, mostly into manufacturing. But um, I was and true story, but I, uh, when I first went there at about 11 years old to help uh, sweep the floors, he did pay me 10 cents an hour and all the pop I could drink. So made tons. Okay. <laughs> but uh, anyways, for myself, um, I think I, I, I learned a lot from him and I got started uh, in high school. So our my very first kick at the can, uh, not big, but uh, it was in rock promotion. So me and four guys got together and started this uh, rock promotion thing and did parties and stuff like this while I was in high school. And when I went to college, I went for college for um, film and video production. Uh, I paid my, well, I didn't pay all of it, but I paid a good sum of it uh, through a video production company that uh, me and a, a buddy started up. And we did some government uh, government films at the time. So okay. went from there right on through, uh, did some video production right out of, I dropped out of college, by the way. Um, so I thought I could make more money right off the bat just doing my own thing. 
But uh, after that, uh, I don't know, I forget what happened, but we had to go back to my hometown and uh, I started working with my dad for a bit. Uh, and then that where's, was where's all, home. Where, where's, uh, where's hometown? Montreal is originally home, but at that time it was uh, Kitchener, Ontario, which is just a suburb of Toronto and uh, ended up working with him briefly uh, ended uh, and going and starting uh, another company. Actually, I, I did work with another uh, company at the time selling um, premium incentives, tchotchkes, stuff like that. And I got into the business. And this is when I was probably in my early 20s. And I, I, I learned that business. I studied and was educated in the business and um, brought on a partner. And we grew that business. Well, this is an interesting story because we tried to, and I talk about perceived value all the time. And this is where it really started. Was we looked at a uh, we looked at the research. The research showed that the average uh, promote company company was usually two person operation, husband and wife. They did three hundred thousand dollars a year. It was twenty three percent gross margins. Not interested. We sat down. We said, "How can we do this? How can we do it better?" And we thought, "Oh, vertical integration." We'll own the embroidery company. We'll own the the screening. We'll own the fulfillment center. We owned the courier company. Like we just went right across the board and kind of bought everything, and um, brought it all in house. Then the second thing we did is how can we do it better? So we put it in. We repackaged in better boxes. Our tape logo across fragile stickers. If broken, do not open. Mm -hmm. um, T-shirts were packaged with our. Uh, with we polybagged each one with our label in it, uh, just everything that you could do. So when somebody got it, and oh, by the way, our our motto was on time every time, exactly like you ordered it. And all of a sudden, we went from nothing, and we actually got a cash advance from one of our customers to two and a half million dollars in a few months, and forty five percent gross margins at the time. And we became wow. one of the number one uh, promo companies in North America. So anyways, uh, that's how I did it. And I shouldn't say I, uh, my partner, and I did it. And uh, it was all due to that and systems. So it was hyper growth. Um, if I didn't read the E-Myth, I would have like had no hair then. It took a few years to, for it to all fall out. But uh, yeah, it, it was crazy. And I started building systems on everything. In fact, we had 23 people in the office and they all participated in building the very first process, not SOP, but process on how to make coffee or why make coffee. It's how to make the perfect cup of coffee and why. Everybody thought it was stupid, but everybody said, aha, at the end. And that was, you know, why? So the buy-in, why should we have, or why should we have this SOP? At first, everybody was joking around about it. What do we need to know? Are there any definitions, like for Amazon, acronyms? Um, what are any prerequisites? Uh, then it goes into the SOP. And then the, the quantifying, the who, who do you report to? Diagrams, so templates. Like in, for, uh, for Amazon, it could be a spreadsheet of some sort. But for this, it goes diagrams. Where does stuff go? Um, and it was interesting because at the end of it, if it wasn't about making a cup of coffee, it was a customer experience. So people coming into the office got frustrated when they walked in the office and there was one burnt cup of coffee with just a drop left so they could make it, tick them off. And then 
we found out that we'd have at back in the day, we had people coming into the boardroom all the time. What do they ask for? A cup of coffee. Well, it would take 20 minutes before we got it because it wasn't on. Or we had people, and, and this is a true story. We're, ta we are, we're talking about um, price. So we, we said, look, we're always looking for the best price. A lady that started with us bought a pallet of, um, of creamer and sugars to keep the costs down, like a pallet. It came in the back. I might have missed this part. So were you guys selling promotional products or coffee? or No, like what, no. What? This is just in the office to make a cup of coffee. So but this you is had the, a pilot coming in. Yeah, this was just to get my point across that we need systems okay. in place so everybody knew how to work with them. And okay. anyways, at the end of it, people were going, oh, aha. And we had a three-strike policy. First strike, and this is still to, to, this, to this day. First strike, nobody's screaming, nobody's yelling. It's an educational process. Second time it happens, okay, what went wrong? It still could be on us. We, the process might be um, something, Amazon's interface might be wrong or something like that. The third time it happened, it was, okay, this isn't meant for you. We either put you in a different position or they were let go. And that, I don't even think that ever got to that point. But uh, we just did it right. And I did have a promo, like a, a sales guy, that uh, was our sales manager at the time. And he was the first one in and he drank tea and he was opposed to this whole process. So he got the first warning and it's just like, okay, you know, what part of the process didn't you understand? He just basically said, it sucked. I drink tea. I'm here at 5.30 in the morning. I'm not making coffee. All right. So explain to them the rule, not the rules, but just explained it to them and why it was so important. Second time he did, second day, didn't happen. Brought him in the office, said, Corey, what's the problem? You do know that the next time I'm going to have to let you go. He says, you would not let me go. He was making mega bucks back then, 120,000 bucks plus 3% of all sales. It was mega bucks. And I said, I'll, let, I'll have to let you go because if you can't follow this, how are you going to follow all these other processes that we're building? And he got it. He got it. He wasn't scared. He just got why we were doing it. And that's how we had to build this culture. And this is what a lot of companies miss out on. They, they talk from the top down about SOPs or brand culture or, or performance-based, building a performance-based culture, but it's all in the CEO's head and they're not building the buy-in. It's so important for that. If you don't have buy-in, um, you, you don't get anything. And then you get poor performance, you get resentment, people quit, you get bad trainers. And so if everything is you know, defined, there's workflows, like everything we do to this day, you can find in a folder, you'll be able to find three folders with every, any task that we have. You go into the task, if you have not performed this task before, please click here, they click on it. And then you'll see a, a checklist with everything that they have to do. The, the folder itself will have the process in it. So the policy and procedure that holds the SOP. They'll have the templates and then they'll have a training area, everything. And so we built it, like we've got 279 SOPs. We don't use them all, but they're all there just on launches, just on wow. launches. That's incredible. Yeah. So it, it, it worked, but that's the start uh, of what ended up being a promo company. Uh, would end, and then from there, uh, what did I, there's so many things. 
but I went into promo and then I went into, uh, I got working with my dad. Uh, my dad uh, approached me and said, hey, how would you like to get into business with me and your brother and get into contract manufacturing uh, for some products? And it ended up uh, us buying two factories in Taiwan and having a fulfillment center in Canada and the US. But doing fulfillment, doing contract manufacturing back uh, 20 years ago and then selling that business. Um, but during that time, uh, buying a specialty manufacturing company, buying so specialty packaging came into it and understanding just how a few extra cents could get you many more dollars um, when you go to sell something. And uh, at that point, I'm going, I'm rushing through things. We sold the company. Oh, take, take your time. Yeah. Then at that point, I decided to become a day trader and I found out I was a really crappy day trader. That was 2000. Uh, lost out on the big election swing. I went against my rules and I lost out. Then just got into a tech hub. Um, had a really great run at that with this tech hub out of Tampa, Florida. Uh, just been all over the map. Uh, at the end of the day, it all comes back to uh, Amazon. It was my perfect storm. Uh, I heard about this program called AMM, mm -hmm. Beta from uh, Amazing Selling Machine, and uh, wasn't interested in Kindle products. Uh, so waited about another year, and I, a buddy of mine, Riz, uh, uh, came up and said, hey, you want to go to Vegas? Uh, and let's go to this thing. I think it was ASM3. Checked it out. Thought it was pretty cool. Uh, I thought, okay, let's get into it. Uh, before I got into it, though, there was a group of people standing around, and they were talking about this is a doctor, and he said that you know he liked to, he doesn't want to have anything to do with Amazon. It was too complicated, deer in the headlights. But I heard him say, I just want to beat the SMP. If I could do that, I'm happy. I went over to him and I said, I can do that, and uh, he, I, I let him go back do his thing. And I presented him with 10 product opportunities. I said, you don't have to get involved with any of these. I'll create the brand. Don't even have to do that. I'll create the brand. I'll find the products, like the ones that the two that he picked, I'll package them up for you, get them onto Amazon and I'll write all your SOPs. So when you exit, you've got everything on a silver platter. That started and the promotional, the promotional business really set you up to feel so confident in the Amazon space. Because you oh, knew where to go to get products and get them made, and you knew product packaging, manufacturing, uh, you knew fulfillment and supply chain. You basically knew everything that goes into Amazon before the Amazon industry really started growing. It, it was my perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah, I see that now. Um, so just question, what were you doing before you went to that event in Vegas? Like, what was your, like, full-time job or, like, business you were running at the time? Was that the day trading and you were kind of, like, looking for something new or, like, what was – what did you leave behind, I guess, to go all in on Amazon? Well, before I got into it, I um, uh, and, and this is kind of an interesting story. Uh, you can always edit it out if you, you know, if it goes on. But, uh, but uh, one of the, I created an opportunity and I talked to people. This is Richard Branson that said something about uh, if an opportunity comes up and you're asked to do it and you don't know how. Uh, you know, just nod your head that you can do it. Like take it. I forget yeah. the exact quote, but I, I live by that. And so many opportunities have come up in this one in particular, where uh, one of our, uh, one of our fortune 500 companies that we were doing their promo um, catalog for, uh, I was in San Jose and 
in San Jose, everybody was ticked off. I was in the purchasing department. They're usually quite friendly. The VP of sales uh, or purchasing was in from uh, Calgary, Calgary, Canada. We went out for lunch and said, what's, what's with all these people? He said, well, these are all the non-contracted suppliers that are just getting under everybody's, uh, you know, just under everybody's skin today. Uh, they were getting paid over 240 days. Some were 280 days. And they thought that because they were dealing with a, a, a big corporation, Fortune 5, that they would be getting paid 30 days. They didn't realize that it would stretch out. So um, during lunch, at the end of lunch, I said, I've got a solution for you. And well, what do you got? And I said, it might sound a little crazy, but make me your non-contracted purchasing department for global. And he said, well, why would I do that? I said, you pay me in 30 days because I'm contracted. I said, you let me keep the funds in the bank for 90 days. So you pay me 30. I keep it in the bank for 90 days and pay me five points. I'll take care of all your headaches. And in about two weeks, I was this Fortune 500's global non-contracted purchasing department. Now, the reason why I'm, and it was crazy, but these, all the people that we were dealing with were now extremely happy. They're getting paid 90. They could live with 90. They couldn't live with 240. So during the time I walked in uh, to the purchasing department, this is in Toronto. They said, we, we're trying to build a website. Have you heard of the World Wide Web? And I kind of did. Uh, could you build us a, uh, a co-op where, you know, we have the logo, we have the dealer on like pens, keychains, coffee mugs, T-shirts. And like I just said, like without hesitation, sure. I didn't know a coder. I had no way of knowing any of this. But the people that I were paying, there was a few, there was an, a couple of agencies in India that I was paying on their behalf. I reached out and I said, hey, can you build this? They said, yeah, sure. Ended up building it. And that started me off. And back then, a website, World Wide Web, like a website was really expensive. It wasn't like it is today. That got me on my way with e-com. This is back in the 90s because uh, other Fortune 5s and other companies would come out and, you know, hey, I saw what you did. I heard about what you did. All right. So I did that and was quite happy. And then I created a, another business that um, uh, in between, so in between the, the getting into trading and, and, and the promotion company, uh, it was an, a print on demand company in okay. probably around 1999, I think, but there was only a handful. And I'm talking about four or five of these type of companies where you could come onto the website, you can order our, 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 our product. We would create a, a logo, uh, uh, corporate identity. We could uh, create uh, business cards and letterhead and all that stuff and send it to you. So using the people from this Fortune 500 company, I went, I approached them in India and I said, can you do logos? They gave me logos for $60 and 48 hours with all the different revisions I wanted. And we were charging $3,000 if you bought it in, uh, what was it? I think 72 hours. And it went down to 15 if you wanted it in a week. And then over a three-week period, it would be 340 bucks. 
but nobody wanted the $340 package. They all went for the $1,500 package. We were paying 60. I mean, it was, it was beautiful. And it was something that uh, a lot of people uh, definitely weren't into at the time. And they, it was just getting out there that you could do this. So we were getting all these new companies that were coming to us for corporate identity work as well. Like branding work basically early on. Yeah, like branding work, like you were essentially creating logos and all the materials to go with it and, you know, the, the mugs and the mouse pads and the, you know, anything they'd want, right? Like, so you might create the corporate identity, but then you would, would you get like the promotional materials? Was that like kind of vertically integrated in that way? Just Yeah, we, we didn't, um, we didn't promote the promotional side of it, but okay. what we, what we did is we partnered with a, a company who had a lot more money than us that was specializing in, this is what they did, uh, uh, print on demand. And they had, uh, they already had everything out there. We approached them and said, Hey, can you white label this for us? And so they did. So they could come in, they can get the logo. And then we would have ongoing, uh, business, uh, recurring business with letterhead, business cards, uh, envelopes, uh, but we we were out of the promotional game at the time. Uh, I mean, it's a good idea. You know, you think about Vista and all those other companies right now. But back then, uh, that was probably just too much. I don't think that there were the capabilities to really do that on a mass scale. It would be pretty tough. Brand identity is hard on a mass scale, I think. Like, you know, at a high level, like it's just hard to scale. You have a certain number of minds and, you know, not, not just designers, but the certain minds that can bring that kind of together. Um, so just thinking about it, like creating systems for that, how do you, how do you scale creativity at, at maximum scale, you know? Um, but I want to jump back into this Vegas meeting with this doctor where you're essentially creating him uh, a brand with these two products he chose. Um, and so you knew nothing about Amazon at the time, other than having gone to that event and being kind of excited and meeting someone. Is that right? Yeah, I knew nothing about Amazon, but I knew okay. how to sell. I knew how to find product. Uh, so I was very involved with sourcing. Um, at the time, I had outsourced in India. Um, I had experience, a lot of experience in China where nobody was going there yet. And we... Uh, like I owned at the time, not at the time, but I uh, had two factories in Taiwan and a lot of people were going to Taiwan until their currency just, just made it hard to compete with China. So you're just seeing opportunity. I would say you're somebody, um, my dad was a lot this way. We were missionaries in Africa and, but we really, he was a serial entrepreneur in a lot of ways because we financed ourselves when we were over there and things like that. And so more doing side hustles than business opportunities. Um, you know, when I think about it, looking back, but, you know, you grew up with a dad as a serial entrepreneur. Um, even your story to this point, you've had multiple pivots and changes and more so just saying yes to opportunity um, is what it sounds like. Just, you know, some people see that as a downside. I think I'm more of that way than, than most people as well. Like, you know, for me, it's, a, it's something it's exciting because it's an opportunity for me to learn something. Um, I didn't know before, you know? So, um, yeah. So, so you're, what was the success rate, I guess, with that first, um, that first attempt at, at launching products? Can you share more about that for me? I got a, I had a bit of both. Um, and I've, like, when I fail, I fail big. 
I failed big. And I'm talking about, uh, you know, you learning about uh, immoral people, which you always have to have your, your uh, you know, the red flags come up. So it's not your fault, but you learn to see these red flags, you know, over the yeah. years. Um, and th- there have been some really bad experiences. But if I if it's all on my own, if I put the onus all on me, uh, I would probably say, I I don't know, I'm working with brands that I, like, I'm involved with that I have ownership in. Um, there's been some really great successes. Um, I've had some rebrands. It's probably, it's probably an 80, 20. I hate to say that because I don't want to shatter people, but I bet you 20% of my launches have been the biggest successes. Now, most entrepreneurs or most people want to hear that it's the opposite, but yeah, when I've, when I've failed in a product, um, it's on a product launch. I usually try to fail really quick. Now, this is completely different than going into business and finding out that you've got the wrong mix or somebody's opened up literally two sets of books. You see one and they show another. When you're doing the product launches on your own, I can quit very easy. And I've learned all these lessons. What do I need to do? How do I optimize? Things are going to change. Amazon's going to suspend my account for no reason, pesticides or whatever. I have to create risk evaluation. And the more that I put into risk evaluation or the more that I put into, uh, all right, how do we get out of this one? And how do how does my team explore how do we get out of this quickly? We find that, you know, we're okay. But yeah. it's the, the ones that come out of the blue and you have, you're not prepared for. So we just launched a product. It was a soap product. And first thing was they said, we didn't own the brand. So we've been fighting with them to over that part. Then they said, okay, you own the, everything was taken care of. Then they said, when we went to uh, create the store, well, uh, no, this brand isn't associated for this with this, with this store. Well, for fourth quarter, we're trying to get all these Amazon posts, all these Amazon lives, everything we wanted to do. We just couldn't do it because brand registry was in conflict with the store. And we just got it resolved last night, by the way. These are things you you can't think about. But one thing I can tell you is uh, the overall success of you know knowing and putting these these, uh, I, I wouldn't say milestone, but these processes in place, these this risk evaluation notebook in place is that you can move on very quickly and get to the next one. Yeah. If it's not working, cut it and get to something else. If five of your colors or 10 of your colors um, are not working out of 12, cut them and just work with the two. So yep. there's lots of little things like that. And, and you know, the success is made in bunts. It's not made in home runs. And what I mean by that is, what can I do to get that extra point? Is it made up in sourcing? Is it made up in me taking back, like uh, not FOB, but let's say using XWorks. Maybe it's finding a better tariff code. What source am I using? Am I going through, am I getting dinged every time I use my bank that is uh, 
for the um, the Forex exchange and for the cost to send a wire. I, if I can play around with all of that and start to get more and more and more on my side, then those are things that a lot of other people aren't working with. And the other, we talked about this, but it perceived value. So perceived value, I, I can give you um, an example that we had uh, about a knife that we were working with. And it was a $16 knife. Um, $49, $49 was uh, the on on Amazon and it was an ugly, ugly package. It was just clamshell with a cardboard on the back. And uh, I saw it and I said, uh, there's tons of potential here. It's a really high quality knife. Why don't we just throw it into some um, hard packaging with a magnetic clasp? And it, it's more of unveiling the product. So it's you don't even see the knife when you open up the package. You have to... Um, you see all the details, then you have to take off this cover like a box of chocolates, and there it is, um, like a really nice looking knife. And everything was put into this extra couple, of, or not even a couple bucks, buck and change of this package. Well, we took that and we were able to bring it up to $99 to $124. Well, that's not bad. And then we looked, we went to the manufacturer and we said, okay, help us out. What can we do at around the same price point? And uh, he told us about hammering the the same knife but instead of having it layered hammer it it's the same cost and we went out we don't let the manufacturer touch the packaging we went out we found this wooden packaging with an outer box kind of like an eye box uh, can you I, tell uh, me can you slow down just for a second why you don't why like as someone that's a sourcing expert why you don't let the manufacturer touch the packaging they're manufacturers so, so, you know, and I don't care if it's here or if it's whatever country you're looking at, unless they have a specific design department or uh, you can see a, a diverse selection of packaging that they have, um, then I might consider it. But nine out of 10, 99 out of 100, uh, I do my own sourcing. So if, and I know this with pet supplements, I can take a look. And I can see pretty much the people who've gone to a pet supplement company who are using the same packaging, the same colors. Uh, they might have a, a German Shepherd instead of a Golden Retriever on the box, but I know who it's coming from. And I, it's just bad packaging. And I'll go out and source, like I've already got product uh, packagers that I've worked with for years, but I'd find those product pack uh, uh, manufacturers, uh, packaging manufacturers. I'd work with them to bring out the brand and let them know what our brand is. Let them like, let them tell us how can we be better than anybody else in the business. And it'll always come down to the little things. It might be a metal clasp that costs you half a penny. It might be a sticker. It might be handwritten notes. It might be, um, like I said, the unveiling. So what we can put on top, it's almost like uh, the layer before you see the chocolates. It might be the mess, uh, again, the messaging along the top. It's the outer box as well. So they, they're they specialists in this. Yeah. And by doing that and, and then adding your insert, um, sending it over, here's something that, if you've never done this, you won't believe. I always, when I'm negotiating my product, I get the, the manufacturer only to negotiate the product. And then I'll go and do this myself. And when I come back, uh, because I haven't asked them about the packaging, um, I'll just ask them if they can kit it for us. It's usually a free. Uh, very seldom do I get charged for kitting. 
It's just something for the service. So here, here's the, the packages, the boxes are coming over to you. Can you package my product in there and add the insert? No problem. It's a hack. So anyone listening, you just found a lot of money. If you guys were listening to what Norm just actually shared, that is a, that's a big tip, Norm. Um, all right, before we go into the finish this story uh, with, with the knife and the hammering and the packaging, I got I to gotta give a shout out to our sponsor, FullScale.io. Finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit FullScale.io. We can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use a FullScale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit FullScale.io to learn more. We're talking about, uh, we were just sharing a tip about how uh, you don't let the manufacturers do your packaging because you want to work with the experts, the people that live, die, breathe this stuff. Um, same thing with developers or talent. FullScale.io is full. This is what they do all day, every day. It's full of amazing talent uh, when it comes to developers. Check them out, FullScale.io. All right, Norm, back to you. Perfect. I want to finish up with a story because we're talking about just like, you know, what to do when things go wrong, uh, how to make things better, how to pivot. We're talking about, uh, you know, you're talking about perceived value uh, by things like a, a metal clasp or, um, you know, a layering before you see the product and unveiling of the product, so to speak. And that has to come from your background uh, with your dad and your brother's business when you guys got into uh, packaging uh, and manufacturing and learning some of those things that you've now taken into the Amazon industry, um, you know, as your wealth of experience. We are talking about you got the manufacturer to hammer, I, I believe that's hammering the blade for a finish. Yeah. Is that right? That's what yeah. you mean? So it was the same blade. It was the same metal. One was layered. One was hammered. And the difference was the package. So you've got a different looking knife. Uh, we put the we put the logo in the rivets, like for the handle. It was a little bit different, but it didn't cost us anything more. Put it into this wooden container with uh, even better packaging, uh, and and it it was just the outside package it was more like an eye eye box, a silhouette, full color process on the back. So uh, you know if you got it, it, it kind of looked pretty cool. You had that whole anticipation thing like an iPhone, opening it up, and there's the box, and you take it out, and there's the knife. It's unveiled. You can't even see the knife. You take it, you, you open up this wood box that has this clasp, and now it's got this sort of silk with this information about the, the, the knife. Well, that went into the marketplace for 224 bucks. Ooh. It was $3 worth of packaging. So... $16 plus $3. That's it. $224 now. Now, there is a tip here. And I, I, when I talk about perception, and I, I hope this isn't like this is going to take a minute to talk about, but whenever I look at Amazon, I look at, or I, whenever I look at any marketplace, uh, Amazon in particular, you've got your first page. And in the, that first page, and let's talk about Dead Sea Mud. I know Dead Sea Mud. So if I go and do a search, I'll see something that comes out uh, at the lower end around $7 to $14. Those are all the manufacturers or the newbies that have just taken a course that don't understand anything about pricing or perception. So they're just trading dollars. Seven bucks for an eight ounce jar of um, Dead Sea Mud up to $14. And you could see the manufacturers. It's the same plastic jar. It's kind of the same look. Um, some of them are a little bit different, but then there's this valley 
that you go up to the second tier. The second tier, $24 to $44. These are sellers that know what they're doing. Um, they, they don't know if they want to take the risk. And they're usually pretty good. Uh, uh, the slide deck's pretty good. They have a pretty good listing. Uh, and they get $24 to $44. And it's the same thing. It's 8 to 16 ounce. Then there's a huge jump. It goes from uh, $70 up to 95 bucks. The $95 brand that's on Amazon is 3.5 ounces. Now the traffic does drop off on this particular one. So it's not a hundred percent. You have to measure how much do you want to sell. Now just imagine 3.5 ounces. I, they would be killing it uh, with profit at $95. And uh, I, I, I remember that was about six months ago. I checked that out. I don't know if it's exactly the same, but you do that with any product. Now, here's, here's the very, the most important thing. Most, I, like 99%, I don't know, 80%. It's the high majority are exactly like that. You as a brand, like you have to work with your manufacturer or you have to have that eye is the competitive analysis side. Where do you want to come out? So if you come out and you say, oh, I'm going to just bump my price up and you have a crappy slide deck or you're not your A plus content or your storefront, all that doesn't align. So you have a bad product. Guess what? You just bumped up your one star reviews because people say it's not worth it. Where I see a lot of the opposite happening is that you've got a great product. You've got a great customer experience. You've underpriced yourself and you're missing out on sales because you could have this great user experience. People are going to love it, give you tons of uh, reviews, but you should be in the upper tier. The only time, one of the strategies we use is that when we're doing a launch and say it's a really high quality item, we'll look at the higher price at the second tier and we'll launch it at that. So we'll provide a discount showing people that the listing is immaculate. It looks fantastic. It's worth that higher tier. But um, people are going to look at like just psychological. They're going to say, wow, I can get that under like uh, in the second tier. Now, they know no clue about the, the second tier. But you've gone to websites and you said, wow, this is 24 bucks, you know, and, and all the like there's a whole bunch of these other ones at 60 bucks or whatever it is and it looks like it's the same quality, I'm going to get the $24 one. Well, we do that on the launches, a bunch of other things as well. But uh, that really, really works well. If you understand perception and pricing, uh, you can really clean up. Yeah, I think something else that's like a an added bonus to great uh, like packaging, all right, or great uh, presentation is if you're selling an item that's a gifting, a giftable item, right? So I'm the, I'm the uncle buying something for, I'm really buying it for my sister, for her daughter, Jet. Okay, baby Jet. Uh, but what I'm buying the gift for is baby Jet is one years old or two years old, right? What I'm buying it for is my sister. Uh, so she's going to appreciate the gift for her daughter. Okay. And so in that aspect, I'm like, is this gift, is this item gift ready? Like is, if she goes and looks at me on Amazon, am I the cheapest one? Which one did I buy her? Right. So this is just like a, you know, um, a perception thing as well. But a lot of people will go and be like, oh, I got this gift from so-and-so and they go and look it up or, 
you know, they kind of want to see what they got. Like, I don't know the price of things sometimes. So I go to look it up to be like, did I get, what kind of gift did I get? Okay. And if they come and now my sister is going to feel like she got a better gift if I didn't buy the cheapest one. And if the listing looks good. And if when it presents, it's like, that's as if it's a gift for her, even though it's a gift for her daughter. Um, These are all the things that I'm thinking about as the uncle trying to buy the right gift is like, I don't want to be seen as the one that bought the cheap gift. I don't want to be seen as the one. Um, So when I'm looking at the item to buy it and I'm like, which one do I want to spend on the 24 or the 65 or the 99? You know, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to go the most expensive. I'm definitely not going the cheapest. And what's the best value I can get? Like, oh, I can get this one that should be 99, but 65. This will make it look like, okay, even if I got a deal, I didn't go cheap. I like bought her a nice gift. So it's all this perception thing. Yeah. You know, this emotional feeling about I'm giving a gift of value um, because it's going to open well. And it's going to, if it's just for me, I might be like, mm, I understand marketing. I'm going to buy the $24 one. It's probably the same product, same, same Dead Sea mud. Uh, and I don't really care. So I'm buying it for me. But if I'm buying it as a gift to somebody else that might not think like me, um, I'm going for that item that's going to have that perception of the value, right? Um, a little nuance there, but it's something that I think um, convinces buyers to purchase as well when it comes to like packaging and gift ready and, and all those things too is, um, you know, we got a few more minutes here and I want to talk about just like, you know, some pivots and things like that. I think we got a few more minutes here. Um, you talked about your product launch's success rate maybe being like 80-20 and, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, I've done less product launches for myself than I've done for others. Um, and a lot of times, like, you know, being able to pick some of those winners. But I do I do agree with you that when you're doing it for yourself, you're not having to prove a win for someone else, like a client, like under an agency work. And it's just like, okay, how much of my effort and time and money do I put into this project before I pivot or try something else? Um, what's your kind of mindset around... Um, you know, a project you've been working on for several months that you've like kind of gone to launch and it's it's not working out exactly like you want. Um, for you as a seller that has a ton of experience, what's kind of your mindset around um, how you conquer that as a team? Like how you pivot, how you move, how you pivot on? Is it like liquidated move on? Is it like lesson learned? Is it like, hey, I have all these other alternative ways I can kind of get myself out of this project? Um, you know, what's your thinking kind of, uh, is it just that you've you've put your mind into a place of saying, hey, I'm really, I just need to launch 10. Two of these 10 will take off. The other eight is just expected. And that's like your expectation going in. Or do you expect to win every time uh, and just have like kind of a silver lining when it doesn't win? Uh, I definitely go into it uh, wanting to win. And usually if I'm doing my proper uh, competitive research and analysis, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to get a, a certain percent of the market share. So uh, if it changes or if there's an issue, uh, I want to know why. Uh, it, it's, it, there's, there's no magic formula, but there's a consistent formula that you, you know, if you just do this and you do it properly, you should be able to get some sales. And if it doesn't, let's say a product launch doesn't just, you know, go your way. Okay, well, relook at it, exactly what's going on. Take a look at your indexing. Take a look at your keywords. Um, and there's very seldom where I say this is a bomb. I mean, it's, it's no good. Uh, usually, it's just something I've overlooked or something the, the team's overlooked. Uh, maybe we did uh, a poor pre-launch. So we like to get the word out there. 
about what we're doing before we actually launch something. Um, do we have a mailing list that we have for another, like maybe it's a, a new variation of something or another a product, another ASIN that that's, supports the brand. Do we have an email list? Did we send out, you know, anything to let people know about it? Or are we, let's say it's you have Amazon Post or Live, uh, are we doing anything there? Do we have right videos? Do we have, did we test out our, uh, our slide deck? These are all things that you do in your agency, but there's all sorts of little things that you can do. It could be, go to PickFu and Figure, yeah, just just run a few polls by uh, people and see what they have to say. Maybe it's something yeah. that simple. Or by the time you started the process a few months ago, what did your competitor do? And we've seen that where the competitors come out with something modified or they've lowered their price or they've done something different that we're missed out on or uh, we didn't address. So... Uh, oh, well, let's just let's just say that there's a negative comment that came out that started to eat up or, or create a problem within the market share, and people were going to different products, similar product but different. Well, you could have addressed uh, addressed that, and maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't do a good enough job addressing the benefits or the quality of your product or. Um, one of the things that we're doing right now is what do we believe in? And that's a big statement in our fifth uh, bullet point. Some people put uh, foreign language. Uh, we put what we believe in. We believe in X. And we think that's pretty important. Yeah. So, some of the times it's just not, you're not engaged enough. And, uh, you know, I listen to all these experts, you know, that, uh, that say that they launch and they all have different launching strategies. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go from uh, uh, one keyword phrase, uh, very short uh, title. I'll mix it up to a longer phrase. I'll put three in there with a, a benefit. You name it, and we'll play around with it um, to to see what works best. Because what will work best in one niche might not work best in another niche. But don't give up, and always improve. So every time you go to order something, your manufacturer is there to help you, you know, or ask them for help, but see what your reviews are. See how you, like if you've got negative reviews and they're true, well, don't let ego come in, you know, don't have ego stand in the way. Adjust it and let people yeah. know. In fact, was it you? No, no, it was somebody else that was talking to me about you can launch product now that says it's a, a, a similar but new product and have that on your listing and you can increase your sales. Now, this is them talking, not me, 30% extra sales that they received because if somebody wasn't happy maybe with this product or psychological, again, they want the new product. Oh, I got to get it. They, they're clicking on that uh that module that's popping up now, that display. Wow. I hadn't heard of that. I hadn't yeah. seen that. I, um, I only heard about it two weeks ago. Wow. You might have to hit me up offline and show me an example of that if you have one. Because um, I'm always trying to learn. But something you said earlier in the show when we were just talking about your, your background and um, going through that flow is very in align with the way that I think and why I love Amazon e-commerce is because as someone that's ADD, as someone that's a serial entrepreneur myself, 
I'm always trying to innovate and learn new things. Amazon e-commerce, brand launches, product launches is an area where you're always learning. There's always something that, hey, I've done this a thousand times. It worked. And this time it didn't. Why did it not work? What's going on? Like just some of the things you thought of that could go wrong on a product launch. Um, you know, you were like, so many people will be like, oh my God, PPC costs are super high and Chinese sellers are now like in the market where I saw, you know, they're, they're going low price and how do we compete? Well, in my mind, it was like, okay, let's just get better at everything else. Let's get better at content. Let's get better at storytelling. Let's get better at thinking about bundles or let's get our packaging that one size smaller. Let's make our packaging amazing when everyone else is doing brown cardboard or let's do live and posts because no one else is doing that yet. Or let's add video because no one's doing that yet. Or, um, you know, all of the different things you're bringing up where you're like, let me go find an advantage here. Let me go find an advantage here. Um, instead of just obsessing about the one thing going wrong, what's an area you can focus on that you can control or you can get better in. Um, and I think that's what like a bullish market does um, is essentially brings out all these new things that you got to focus on and, and um, you know, adjust to pivot to when, when something's going on. And that's what I love about Amazon is because it's an entire business model where there's um, all of these different, I guess, like focuses from supply chain and logistics and fulfillment and warehousing to product development to version two to very, you know, on and on and on. Um, and which ones, which ones um, do we want to focus on? If one comes into kind of like a lot of competition or a roadblock, okay, where else can I focus? Where else can I get better at? Um, and if you're, if you're a competitive person, if you love to be getting better, um, there's no better space, I think, than that one. Um, and that, that just, when you, when you, when I think you're a seller, you're a brand as an agency, you get on these phone calls with brands are like, why aren't things working? Um, and it's like, well, let's go, let's go to the basics. What else has happened in the market? Um, you know, has, has, has bad reviews came out uh, on similar products? Um, has someone lowered their price? What, is there a new competitor that we didn't know of? Um, you know, what's changed from our research from when we thought this was a good idea till now and being able to pivot when those challenges come up, I think is the ultimate, um, you know, test sign, uh, of a true entrepreneur and a true, and a true brand builder. Um, so I, I went on a rant a little bit, but, uh, just passionate about like, if you really want to be the best at this, if you want to give it your ultimate focus, it's, 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 um, you do the right things. These, you know, you will get a certain amount of share, a market share, a certain amount of sales, um, is so, so true. Like you said, um, Norm, as we get closer to just our time, cause I could keep picking your head on these, um, brand launches and how to pivot. I love your insights. Um, what's something, I know something that you personally are working on. We spoke about it on your po podcast lunch with Norm, um, offline. And I'm excited to be a part of that, but I don't know if you want to share that or something else, but what's something that you and your team um, are working on, uh, you know, going into 2023 that you're excited about? And then also, where can people get in contact with you, um, you know, find your podcast, uh, you know, get in contact with you personally? Uh, I'm going to have it in the show notes, but for anyone listening, uh, where, where can they get in contact? Um, one of the, 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 the things I just want to add to everything that you said is don't be afraid. Don't, first of all, don't, what if a brand new product launch? So many people, what if it's to death? They never do anything with it. The second thing is everyone pays their Amazon tax. Everybody makes mistakes. What you do is you pay those Amazon taxes, you make note of them, and you move forward with your second, third, fourth, fifth um, uh, launch. Just be resilient. Uh, and 
That's what it takes to be a successful seller and always keep learning, keep listening to podcasts like this, and you'll just continue to learn. So best place to uh, hear uh, or contact me would be I'm pretty much anywhere uh, on on the internet. We've got a bunch of social media. So just uh, you can look for Lunch with Norm. You'll see a guy with a beard. That's me. Um, or you can just norm at amz.club. Uh, I do have uh, a, a bunch of stuff going on in, in 2023. Um, one of them is uh, I'm working on a new challenge and it's going to be something that's influencer based. Uh, I'm an old guy bald with a long beard. I have no, not a single influencer as a, uh, as a buyer influencer. So what I'm trying to do in 2023 is create a system for Amazon sellers on how to reach out to influencers and what to say, what to do while I'm building out this buyer account. So if I can do it, everybody else can do it. So that's kind of, it's more of a fun thing that I'm, I'm working on and uh, you know, we'll see what, what happens. But uh, if you want, reach out. We've got a podcast that happens every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Andrew was just on it. He had an awesome uh, podcast and we're going to be publishing it over YouTube later on. Uh, I think it's going to be next Tuesday, but uh, that's it. That's it for me. I love it, Norm. Thank you so much. Um, and to our listeners, like I said, I will have um, uh, his contact info and uh, how to find lunch with Norm, how to find his website. Uh, you know, I know Norm does a million things. We only talked about a couple of them on the show. Um, he's all over the Amazon industry um, from sourcing to uh, owning brands, to launching products, to having an agency himself. Um, you name it. And this next venture is going to be fun. I'm hoping to be a little part of it as well. Um, Thanks again, hustlers, for tuning in. Thanks again to our sponsor, FullScale.io. Do you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders? Let FullScale help. They have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let the platform match you up with fully vetted, high-experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At FullScale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. Thank you, everyone, for your time and attention. Thank you, Norm, so much for your time and your expertise. Um, I know you dropped a ton of gems and tips today. Uh, if you guys didn't get them, I'm telling you they're, they're there. Listen again. Um, some real value uh, adding ideas as well as uh, profit-saving things. Um, the tip around going to uh, even getting kitted by the manufacturer and the way that you kind of bring that up to them was absolute gold. So I'm going to hammer that again. Um, and then not not to mention and not to forget Lunch with Norm. Check out that podcast. I got on there. Had a lot of fun. I know that uh, we'll both have to have each other back on the show to do a little, little follow-up on some of the things we're working on um, and get to, get, get, to, get to know you just a little bit better. Uh, thanks again, Norm. I'll see you next time. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. You got it. See you guys. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.